chill, an uneasy feeling that you are not alone. Don't worry, it's just a ghost. A shout out to Tia Mayhem and Tanya Venom of Stormstress for providing the incredible intro music for this podcast. Hello there, I am your host Mary Jensen. In this episode of It's Just a Ghost, I will be talking with David J. Schmidt. He is an author, professional storyteller, translator, and home brewer from San Diego, California. He speaks 12 languages and has been to 29 countries, all of which have their own resident ghosts. Schmidt became interested in scary stories as a child when he scared the living daylights out of his Boy Scout troop by telling them the tale of the Golden Arm. As an adult, he has collected folklore and strange stories around the world, from the remote mountains of southern Mexico to the jungles of Peru, from Ireland's pubs to Egypt's city of the dead. While Schmidt doesn't claim to have the answers that explain everything paranormal, he is certain that much exists beyond our understanding. He has published several books, including this tiny staircase series, Three Nights at the Clown Motel, an anthology titled Descent into Darkness, The Serpent's Head, and Holy Ghost, True Stories from a Haunted Christian College. He has a number of articles and short stories and publications in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. He has collected folklore and strange stories from around the world. Most of the stories in Holy Ghosts are from one particular corner of the globe, a place called Point Loma Nazarene University. This private Christian college, located in San Diego, California, sits on a place with a mysterious past. Hello and welcome, David Schmidt. What a pleasure to have you with us for this episode of It's Just a Ghost. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. For starters, your book, Holy Ghost, is jam-packed with true haunted campus stories. You also delve into quantum mechanics, the science of ghosts, and much more. There is so much in this book, we can't even begin to cover it all in this episode, but we can touch on some of the highlights. So to my listeners, I highly recommend reading this book to get the full spectrum and more of what we will cover in this interview, as it will only begin to scratch the surface. So David, please tell a little bit about yourself and the inspiration behind Holy Ghosts. Yeah, well, uh, Holy Ghosts, it's uh, really a case study of one haunted place, and I look at that haunted place and use that uh, to try to understand haunted places all over the world. So I'm looking, the place I'm looking at is the college that I graduated from, Point Loma Nazarene University in San Diego, California. Uh, it's extremely haunted, lots of ghost stories there. And uh, so obviously the book is interesting to people familiar with that particular college. But at the same time, I think it's interesting to anyone interested in ghosts and haunted places. Um, and I think it's also interesting to people who have a perspective similar to mine, which is uh, kind of a unique perspective in the, the world of ghost writing, paranormal writing, uh, I think you find a lot of extremes when you when it comes to haunted places and ghosts and that kind of phenomena, and I don't consider myself on any of those extremes. Now, so the two main extremes that I find that I talk about in the introduction, uh, on the one hand, you've got the skeptics, people who say that there's no such thing as the paranormal, there's no such thing as unexplained phenomena, 
built haunted houses. They say all of that is BS. It cannot exist. Everything that exists can be explained according to our science as it exists now, as we understand it. So mm-hmm. that's, you've got the skeptics, fairly an easy point of view. And then on the other extreme, you've got the believers. Oh, but a lot of believers, I, they seem to understand exactly how ghosts work. And they claim to have devices that can detect ghosts and can measure them and record them. And, and you, so you have those, a lot of those books appear on the ghost hunting TV shows, Ghost Adventures, uh, which I can even talk a little about Ghost Adventures, and some of those shows that, that claim to capture evidence every time they go to a place within the first day of being there, which I find kind of silly. Um, but in general, a lot of those professional ghost hunters, quote-unquote, really talk as if they understood exactly how ghosts work and how the afterlife works and everything. So those two extremes, the one extreme I call it the Scooby-Doo camp, mm-hmm. because, you know, Scooby-Doo, every episode, it always ended the same way. It was, there was always a material explanation for what happened. Like, oh, it was old man spunkers from the abandoned music park the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> And if it wasn't for you, I would have gotten away for it. If it wasn't for you meddling kids. So that's the whole of the, the, uh, the Scooby-Doo extreme. And then the other perspective, I call it the Ghostbusters perspective. Because in the movie Ghostbusters, these guys, they've broken ghosts down to a science. They have devices, they can trap ghosts, and they're always talking in these pseudoscientific terms about, you know, measuring ghosts. I am not on either of those camps. I'm not on either of those extremes. So where I'm coming from, personally, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little of my personal perspective uh, to see where I'm coming from. Uh, for On the one hand, I, uh, I do identify with the Catholic Christian faith in uh, a very you know, progressive sense. I, I don't think the Catholic Church is the one right religion that has all the answers. That's just uh, my particular spirituality. Um, but I do believe in God. I don't know what the afterlife would look like uh, if there is a spirit that survives death, if there's a recreation or a resurrection of the world in the future. I have no idea. Uh, I think there's a, a plurality of, of viewpoints on that, even in the Judeo-Christian tradition. Um, but I'm, I'm a person who believes in God, and I'm also a person who believes in science. I, I believe what science has discovered is true. I, I don't deny the reality of things like climate change and evolution and that vaccines work um, and that a spaceship landed on the moon, you know, I, I, I believe those things. So the fact that I believe those two things um, separate me from a lot of people you would find in the paranormal field. I think you find a lot of people, and a lot of people in those two camps, both religious folks and scientific folks, uh, really shy away from the idea of ghosts and don't think that 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 could be real. A mm-hmm. lot of people from the religious point of view, they believe, well, if, if God's real, I mean, ghosts, that must only be demons. There's no way for that to be anything but demons because everybody else, they have to go to some afterlife. And, and so there's no way that haunting phenomena can exist. And of course, a lot of scientifically minded people say, if we can't measure it with our current scientific technology, then it must not exist at all. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so those, those are the ideas that I challenge in this book. And I suggest that it's very possible to be a rational person, a scientific person, and a person of faith, and to take those stories seriously, and to believe that something could be happening. But at the end of the day, that the bottom line of everything I've written about ghosts is that we don't know what is happening. I believe something happens in haunted places. I don't believe any human really understands what is going on there. 
And it's like, that's okay. It's okay to admit that we don't understand it. It's, we can just recognize that something strange is happening and our limited knowledge cannot explain it. Yeah, and I totally agree with that because, um, yeah, I mean, you don't know until after you pass, you know, and then you still probably won't have all the answers um, as far as like how hauntings work. And and that's why I love your book, too, because you do touch on, you know, the scientific part of it a little bit and the religious part. And and then you've got all your stories, um, too, of people who have had encounters and I've had encounters myself. I can't deny, I know there's spirits. You know, I've had things happen. And I've been interviewing a lot of people that have had experiences. In fact, um, I think it was my very last episode that just came out a few days ago. I interviewed somebody that I grew up with their family. They went to our church. Um, and so they're very Christian and they live in a haunted house and it's, they've lived there for, since like the sixties living with these spirits and stuff. Um, and I asked, I asked the woman, I said, why do you stay in that house? She said, well, I like the location. I like, you know, I like, I love the house. And I said, well, have you ever done a cleansing there or anything? She said, no, I don't want to, because I want them here. You know, and she's very religious and, she, you know, so I asked her, like, in her perspective as being a very Christian woman and stuff, what she makes of all of this, you know, because the Bible basically, as far as I know, just says, you know, when you die, you, you go to heaven or you go to hell. I, you know, I mean, I don't know everything in the Bible, but, and like she said, too, I, I don't know, I can't explain it. But she says, I, I know that it's real, you know, because I mean, their house is extremely haunted. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's why part of the reason I love your book. And I just, you know, I hope all our listen, listeners decide to read it after hearing this interview. So um, when and what first piqued your interest in the paranormal? Well, I've always... I mean, personally, I've always loved uh, creepy things. I've, I've just always liked, I've enjoyed ghost stories and scary stories as a kid. Um, but the, the interesting thing is, as a child, I, I, I wouldn't say that I had any real unusual experiences. Or if I did, I was not open to them or wasn't aware of them. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people who get into ghosts and write about them had a very haunted childhood. It sounds like you did. From I listened to your episode about the house. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Some, some terrifying, terrifying experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very, that's very common for a lot of people that they, that become interested in ghosts and the paranormal because they've, they've experienced things from childhood that they couldn't explain. In my case, that wasn't my experience. I, most of my childhood and adolescence, I was actually, I was indoctrinated with a lot of, I would call it Christian skepticism. Um, but really a very sort of cocky, haughty attitude toward anything unexplainable. Um, and on the one hand, I was told in the churches that I grew up going to, which, uh, you know, which is a kind of faith that I do not identify with anymore. It was a, a very fundamentalistic, evangelical Christian faith. Um, and the churches I grew up in really claimed to have all the answers. They told us, we understand that we know what God thinks about everything from short skirts to smoking to playing cards, you know, whatever. 
mm-hmm. and we know exactly how the afterlife works, and we, you know, we have the correct position on everything from politics to what books you should read and movies you should watch. And so, along with that, if you mention anything about, hey, you know, I know somebody who lives in a haunted house, some people will tell you he's crazy. Mm-hmm. He, he, it's his imagination, it's superstition. Other people will tell you to be afraid. They're going to tell you, no, the only thing that can be is demon. That's got to be, it's, it's only satanic or demonic. That's the only explanation mm-hmm. that a Christian could have for a haunting phenomenon. And I, I was always someone who questioned those absolutes and those easy answers. And uh, I think I was a critical thinker from a, a very young age. And I would question a lot of the assumptions that the people in the churches I grew up going to went to. Um, I, I think my parents were some of that too, because they, they taught me to be more open-minded and question things. And, you know, question anyone who claims to have all the answers and to have it figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's, I mean, when you look at the prophets and Jesus and all, all the voices in the Bible itself, they don't talk like that. They talk about a lot of mystery in life. That a big part of being a human is being humble and acknowledging, no, you don't understand it all. You never will. And, mm-hmm. that's, and that's okay. And I, beyond that, I, I grew up, I mean, you know, I grew up with a very scientific uh, mindset, I think, um, to think critically. And so I think it's just unscientific to listen to so many testimonies of people like you, and now people like me, because now I have had plenty of my own experiences uh, some of them pretty terrifying, but to hear there, I've heard hundreds of other people who've had unusual experiences with psychic phenomena, with haunted places, other other kinds of phenomena, and they're very rational people. I mean, I've met plenty of crazy people too. I've met people who are not rational, and who it's obvious that it is just their imagination. But when you hear someone who is, who is a very logical, down to earth, critical thinker. And they've had an experience that they just cannot explain in the material world. You know, it's, it's unscientific to always assume, no, that cannot be real because it doesn't fit with my personal worldview and with my assumption about how things work. So I'm just going to ignore that evidence. Mm-hmm. And I think there, there are too many people who've had too many experiences. And that's uh, to borrow a phrase from an old uh, evangelical apologist. It's evidence that demands a verdict. And uh, and I don't think we're going to have a verdict of what exactly is going on, but but sometimes it's enough to, for the verdict to be, yeah, something's going on. Some places have something from the past that remains there, that is stuck there. And I don't think you have to believe in that that's the conscious spirit of a dead person. I, as you've seen in my books, uh, especially in Holy Ghost, I go into a lot of different theories of what that could be. Most of those, those theories do not require you to believe in an afterlife or in a human spirit that survives death, I think there are a lot of other ways to understand haunting phenomena that uh, don't have to do with the afterlife or with conscious spirit mm-hmm. of any kind. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that, too, because, again, nobody really knows everything, and there could be a lot of different explanations. It doesn't even have to be black and white, you know? So just like why some... Right. Why some hang around it it could be they're just not ready to cross or they have unfinished business or they just want to let someone know that they're okay um there's there's so many different things that it could be or is you know and and that's what's so i think so interesting you know because i do know there are spirits or ghosts or, or whatever you know you want to call them 
And so what interests me most is like, why and how, and all of those questions that I'm always trying to figure out. And, you know, so that's why I'm so interested in it. And whenever yeah, I came... A lot of those... I'm sorry for interrupting. Oh, no, that's fine. Uh, a lot of those, those uh, theories that I go into really... Um, According to a lot of these theories, you know, it, it doesn't even involve somebody who is conscious or is hanging around in the first place. I mean, I think there's a lot of evidence of many haunted places being kind of a recording of the past. Like, just something from the past, events from the past, feelings get stuck to a place, and it's like they're on replay, on a loop. And some people come to that place and experience them. Yeah. But it's, I think it's no, more, it's no more sinister or frightening than... Uh, and then watching a movie or hearing an audio recording of something that's happened. You know, you can hear the voice of a dead person on an audio recording on a movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's not, that's not Cary Grant's spirit stuck inside the DVD or inside Netflix. When you watch a movie he made, it's uh, just something from the past that has stuck to a, a device or a, I think places record the past. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a way that we don't un- we don't understand how that works yet. Maybe we, maybe science will understand that someday. But uh, I think there are plenty of other uh, possible explanations for hauntings that that again don't involve conscious spirits at all. Mm-hmm. And like like you mentioned, um, as you you had read in one of the chapters in Holy Ghost, one of those theories could involve the living and not the dead, which is the telekinesis theory that some. Mm-hmm. Poltergeist phenomena could could be living people causing that unconsciously with uh, abilities that we don't understand yet. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. And and yeah, so we could talk about that more after, like how you kind of talked about the movie Carrie, you know, with that, and like you said too about things that reoccur, like reoccurring. Um, I just recently, like my Perry, who he co-hosts for me a lot. And he's been talking about stuff. He lives in that house I was just talking about um, with, you know, his mother and stuff and the Christians. And they have things that I believe are like reoccurring, like it happens every year or there's just so much energy from whatever happened there. And it just replays itself over and over again. Now the recurring, the recurring events, do they happen at the same time of year every year? Like, um, like blockwork, like? Um, you know, I'll have to ask them that because I know there was one where like an airplane, um, they see like a plane that comes down and goes like they see it go into the woods behind their house. But when they go and check, there's no plane there. And other people have seen it, too, you know, neighbors and stuff like that. Um, So, yeah, I'll have to ask them that if it's like in every year at the same time or same time of year yeah yeah so and that's, that's very common that's very common with a lot of, of haunted places and phenomena too which really it really debunks the idea that a ghost has to be the, the spirit of a dead person because people will see ghosts like, like that you know, they'll see ghost flames ghost trains ghost uh I don't know, the automobiles from the, the movie title uh but yeah ghostly carriages inanimate objects which like you know, that you that object didn't have a soul that that, that object didn't die for its soul to be around, you know, trying to send a message to anybody. But mm-hmm. if you look at that event as as the entire event from the past that somehow we can see it in the present, either because it got imprinted onto that place through like a, a residue from the past, 
uh, or because there's some overlap in the quantum field between the present and the past, and and we might be witnessing the past as it's happening. Mm-hmm. And there are cases of, I mean, there's one I mentioned in the book of a couple of sisters in England who witnessed an entire uh, Nazi bomb bombing raid, which happened in they were in a hotel in France. And they saw the whole thing. They could hear the bombs and the screams, and, and it was like they were right there. And yeah. But they witnessed it years after World War II ended. Mm-hmm. And it was like this, this replay of that, that traumatic event where, again, you know, well, what is it goes to plane? Is that a plane that died and its soul hasn't gone on to airplane heaven yet? Mm-hmm. I, I think a, more, a better explanation could be that it's, uh, yeah, it's an event from the past that the entire event is being replayed and really experienced in the present. Yeah, definitely. And and also like people that like you just said they heard sounds and stuff like that and like I've heard of people hearing like they'll be in the other room and in the kitchen they'll hear dishes breaking or something and like a bunch of dishes being smashed and they go into the kitchen and there's nothing. You know, there's no broken dishes or anything. So that's just they hear it but it's not actually happening like it did or there would be broken dishes but so yeah i mean that's very interesting as well um how all that happens it's it's just another mystery sort of you know but yeah i do believe things can replay especially things that have had a lot of energy when they happen like the war i mean that was you know it's no wonder that's replaying over and over again so sure and yeah that that seems to be a constant too with with haunting it's, uh, I mean, people very rarely see the ghost of a peaceful scene or, you know, I mean, it, it's happened, people say they've seen the apparition of uh, someone stayed in a, a hotel that Voltaire used to write in, that they, they saw Voltaire sitting at the desk writing. Yeah. But that's, that, that's the uh, anomaly rather than the norm. The norm is that what gets stuck to a place and imprinted there is usually a very emotional event. I mean, a tragedy, human suffering, mm-hmm. sadness, um, you know, torture, human pain, like that, those sort of things. It's almost like that intense emotion is like the flash of a camera bolt that imprints the event onto the plate and mm-hmm. makes it stick around. And people will go there with no idea that that tragic history existed in that place, but they will pick up on something. Yeah. Uh, and I, I've experienced that. I have a family who has. My uncle, my uncle Craig, it's uh, one of, probably one of the most convincing stories I've heard. He stayed at a hotel in Arizona, the Hacienda Inn. It's in the town of Prescott, Arizona. Really a lovely hotel, old historic turn of the 20th century. And he, he just stayed there because someone told him it was beautiful. And it is. It's a lovely place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but he stayed there. Lots of strange things happened. Um, everything from like the light switch turned itself off in his room multiple times. Uh, the TV would turn itself on, and that, that whole first night, he just, he felt like there was a woman who was there and did not want him there. Was, he was just pissed off at him, at men in general, um, had a lot of issues with, with male figures. And it was only afterwards he talked to the bartender, and the bartender asked, so what, what room did you stay in? He told him the room number. The bartender said, oh yeah, you're right next to her room. Oh, okay, no. who, who is her? Well, her is a, a young lady who checked in with her husband on their honeymoon. They'd just gotten married in the early 1900s. They checked into the hotel. The, her new husband said, hey, I'm going out for cigarettes, honey. I'll be right back. And he, I guess he had cold feet. He abandoned her. Never oh. came back. Oh, 
Wow. Ran away from his new bride, so she waited for him three days, totally heartbroken, and eventually she hung herself in that room right next to where my uncle stayed. Yeah. So there's, yeah, that, that anger, that anguish, the human suffering stuck to that room, and my uncle had no idea, did not know that this was a room next to where all of that had happened, but somehow he picked up on that residue from the past. Yeah. So that that sounds like a case like we were just talking about to me, like maybe she's not really there haunting co- consciously, but it's just kind of replaying itself or you get the feeling of what was happening, you know, as it's right. replaying. That's what that sounds like. And, you know, I had never really thought of that before, that maybe, yeah, it's not always, a go- you know, a spirit really there. It could be replay or... You just have, there's so much energy from what happened that you can just feel it. So that's really cool. I like that. I like that. Personally, I like to think about that theory because I find it less frightening. You know, it's less scary to think of it as a recording than than an actual spirit that that does not want you there and is trying to drive you out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not going to say that that the other kind of haunting does not exist, but to think of, you know, a conscious entity that doesn't want you there that's a scary thought yeah (laughs) definitely yeah like that one at my house when i was a kid the evil um right yeah i'm i'm glad i don't remember do you know anything about the i wanted to ask you do you know anything about the the history of that house i mean of anything happening there tragedy or anything that might make something dark stick to the place I tried to find out. I, I like I emailed um, the historical society from the town, and they didn't seem to have anything, you know, to tell me. I just know when the house was built, and I, you know, I don't know off the top of my head, but um, it was in the eighteen hundreds. And but yeah, I, I still want to try to dig and try to find more, you know, about the house because there's got to be something, I would think. So yeah. I just haven't really yeah, had time often, yet. A lot of times there there is no written record of it, but uh, maybe if you can track down some of the former former owners, uh, see if they know anything. Yeah, yeah, I know. Or police I, records too could be, you know, it, for all we know, it could be. I mean, a death might have happened there that you don't know about. That's true. Yeah, I know. I got to try to find the time to do that. I got to win the lottery so I don't have to work my regular job. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you, you and me both. That'd be great. Yeah. Because all the time. Maybe. Maybe someday. So, (laughs) (laughs) when was um, your first inspiration to write? Was that? Um, I mean, I I grew up, I think like a lot of writers, I grew up surrounded by books and reading. My parents read to me every night. They would read stories, like, excuse me, chapter books. And they would always beg for another chapter and stay up late. That's where I developed my love of books and my insomnia issue <laughs> because uh, it was always putting off sleep. We want one more chapter. What's going to happen next? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's very, that's very common with uh, a lot of, I mean, I don't know many people who are effective writers who are not also voracious readers. Right. If you yeah. don't, if you don't read, you're not, you're not going to write very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's, true. And it's got to be, I mean, a lot of yeah, that book presentations. One of the questions that that I I really dislike is when people ask how you come up with your ideas. And I always say, if your problem is trying to come up with ideas, you shouldn't be writing. 
And that's fine. That's, not everybody has to write. If yeah. you don't have ideas, we'll, we'll do something else. Do what you love. What makes you happy? If, mm-hmm. I think if you're a writer, the ideas are a burden on your soul. You have to let them out. and they, You have too many ideas and not enough time to write them down. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a different problem. Too many... I mean, so when I win the lottery, I'm going to sit down in a, a cabin somewhere and just spend a year and, and write them all out and knock out like 50 books that I've got ideas for. Yeah, because I'm sure you're like um, a lot of writers and, and anything creative, you just like my mind never stops. It drives me crazy sometimes right. because in a lot of like you said, because I don't have the time to do everything that I want to do. I don't have the time to get it out. So I'm constantly, you know, I have like stacks of papers here with notes on it just so that it's not in my head. And someday maybe I, you know, I'll go through them and put them in some sort of order, <laughs> you know, for the podcast, right. like ideas for the podcast and stuff. But so I always carry, I call it, I call it my app book. It's a little, little booklet in my back pocket of my jeans. Mm-hmm. I would carry an app book on me to write down ideas. Yeah. But then, yeah, like you said, you have to you have to organize them eventually and turn them into something. Final exactly. Product. Mm-hmm. So, Holy Ghost it encompasses so much. It must have been a really amazing to do the research and talking with people, um, and not to mention all the countries you visited. So, what was your process like gathering all the information and putting it into words and the actual layout of the book? Like, how did you organize everything? Well, it was, I mean, it was really a book 15 years in the making. If you count from when I first heard those stories at my alma mater, uh, at Point Loma Nazarene University, which uh, I started there in 2001. And really, in the first week that I was there, I heard the first ghost story from uh, a friend from one of my psychology classes. She, uh, she told me about Madame Tingley's ghost, which was kind of the most famous ghost at that university. And she said, oh, yeah, it was a creepy old lady who built these buildings and she had like a cult here and all the stories were sounded like that. They were very diffuse, very like nondescript, uh, not a lot of details, but Madame Tingley loomed larger than life as the figure. And so I, I heard a bunch of those stories as a student there and I, I, I had already developed a love of creepy ghost stories, but I was fascinated. Like, who is this? Did this Madame Tingley ever exist? And I was always like, this sounds like an urban legend. I mean, the name even, Madam Tingley, like, nobody's named Madam Tingley, come on. <laughs> and so I was, I was very skeptical, and, uh, but eventually I, I started researching the history of that campus, and I realized, yeah, Madam Tingley was a real person. Catherine Tingley, she was born in, I, I believe it's your home state, Massachusetts. Am I hearing the accent right? Yes. Yeah, she, so she was from Massachusetts, uh, moved out to California, and she joined the Theosophical Society. Uh, which was, uh, I would not call it a cult. Uh, I, I ended up researching it a lot. I visited modern day theosophical, uh, communities and I, I don't, I don't believe they match any of the definitions of a cult, but they are occult. They are occultists in the pure sense of people who believe that, that they are researching and, and discovering the hidden knowledge of ancient traditions. So that's the original meaning of the occult, the occult. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, the modern-day theosophists, they're really very nice folks. I had a great time hanging out with them. Um, but the book itself, I mean, I, originally I just thought of writing down some of the stories I heard and calling it a day. I thought, hey, I'll, I'll write these stories and let somebody else figure out what the hell's going on there at Point Loma. Mm-hmm. 
But the more I researched, the more, and I just went down this rabbit trail, and uh, and more and more stuff kept coming up of fascinating things with the history of that campus and with the history of haunted places and ghosts. And, and I realized that I wanted to make this book not just about that one haunted college campus. I said, I'm going to make this book about hauntings in general and mm-hmm. try to try to look for answers about what is going on with ghosts and with haunted places and uh, how can we try to start to make sense out of this or at least just come up with theories about them and give some credence to the people who experience hauntings who who feel like they are ashamed to talk about it because they're afraid someone will laugh at them or call them crazy or call them superstitious. And I, I wanted to give a voice to those people too and say, hey, no, you're not crazy. And you don't have to stop believing in science or in God just because you had an experience you can't explain. Mm-hmm. And I mean, at, the base, at the base level, it would, it would be absurd for any of us to assume that, that science has figured it all out. Because just think about 100 years ago. How many things did science not understand yet 100 years ago, 200 years ago? Now go back to 300 years ago. The scientific method existed, the same basic approach, but they didn't understand electricity, much less how this device you and I are talking to on right now, how this works, uh, a cell phone, this miniature computer in your pocket. I mean, how would you even begin to explain how that works? It would just look like magic. Mm-hmm. And if someone from 300 years ago saw a recording of your voice or a, a cell phone or a television, they would try to describe it. They would sound like they were crazy. And people would say, hey, no, man, that's, we have no explanation for that, so that cannot exist. So just apply that same principle to nowadays. Why would we assume that our science right now, that we're lucky enough to live in the one year in human history when science has finally figured it all out and we can explain everything. Well, no, of course not. Of yeah. course there are going to be unexplainable things in our universe. Always. And yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, I think the best, the best scientifically minded people will admit that. And I think the best people of faith of any religious tradition will admit that just as a matter of humility, which is this constant in so many spiritual traditions of, you know, getting on your knees, being humble as a human and recognizing I am a very small element of this entire universe, this world that we live on, and I can only see a small fraction of it, and I can only understand a small fragment of it. And that's that transcendental experience that exists in so many different spiritual traditions. Yeah, yeah, because I think a lot of people, um, if they don't understand something, they don't believe in it, or you know, they don't want to believe in it or, you know, for whatever reason. And a lot of people, so some of my research and other stories that I've heard, they don't believe and, and then they have an experience. And then, then they do. They're like, wow, you know, I had something happen to me. And now, you know, I, I believe other people. I don't think it's so not real, you know, like they saw something or that they can't explain. And I've and that was the, that was the case with me too. With my, yeah. my experience was like that. Well, I'm not so sure. Yeah. Like, if I didn't grow up in a haunted house or have, because I've had other experiences since then too. If I had never had any, I'd have a hard time believing it. You know, I mean, I wouldn't say no, sure. but I wouldn't be as sure as I am now. 
even though I've I talked to people that I know, you know, like you said, that are credible and they're not crazy. It, it's still hard to understand unless you experience it. I get that, even though I have experience, you know. So, I mean, so yeah, you, you have told a lot of stories in this book. Do you want to share um, your brother Daniel's experience? Yeah, and, and he, I mean, he grew up just like me, um, being very skeptical about ghost stories. I mean, the ghost stories were treated as just something that's for fun to tell a camp out from, on a Boy Scout trip. Mm-hmm. And uh, but he grew up like me, you know. He wasn't wasn't a person who would say he believed in ghosts, but then he started to hear about Madame Ching Lee as well. And and uh, so one night he had this experience in a building that used to be Madame Ching Lee's house. Now this building it's a two story Victorian house on the campus of, of the college. Uh, it's nowadays it's used uh, to house classrooms on the bottom floor, offices on the top floor, and the building has a basement beneath it as a storage area. And now, now that basement is classrooms for art, art classes, art studios. So my brother, he uh, when he went to Point Loma, like within the first week, I think he enrolled and got a job at Public Safety, which uh, you know the, the security guards of, of the college. And he uh, he's a police officer nowadays. He's always loved law enforcement, and uh, ever since he was a kid, he pick up any inanimate object and pretend like it was a gun. You know that that's just his style. And uh, and me, I'm the I'm the peacemaker in the family. So we've got we've got two two brothers in our family, one of each. And so he's uh, <laughs> different in a lot of ways, similar in a lot of ways. But he joined uh, public safety. He really wanted to do, get to get his hands on experience doing some you know some public safety work, something similar to police work. So so that first week when he joined the public safety, people started talking about Madam Kingley's house. So he starts hearing these stories like, oh yeah, this building now it's called Cabrillo Hall. This building, uh, it used to be Madame Tingley's house, and they tell them stories that Madame Tingley, she was this occultist, and she, she was in charge of the society of the Theosophists of Point Loma, and, and the rumors were that she was old seances, because the Theosophists, they kind of overlapped with the spiritualist movement of trying to contact the dead and do seances. And so they said that she would hold seances and talk to the dead in that front room parlor of her house. And a lot of the public safety officers, um, and some of them were even ex-cops and had law enforcement experience, you know, really hardened dudes, they were kind of afraid to go into that building at night. They said, yeah, you know, sometimes it gets, it gets a little gnarly in there at night. So weird things will happen. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, uh, <laughs> when, when do I get to go in there at night? I want to see if Madam Kingley shows up. And they said, hey, if you do it enough, something, something's going to happen at some point. So he, uh, so the first night that he got to do a night shift, which is where he would do the rounds of the campus, and he would check every building, make sure the doors are still locked, because the last professors who leave the building, they have to lock it up. And, of course, public safety, he's got to make sure that you know, there's no trespassers coming into the campus from outside, nobody's stealing anything. Typical security guard stuff. Yeah. So he walks all, all around campus, checks all the buildings, and the doors are locked and everything's fine. And then at the very end, he gets to Madame Kingley's house, to the Cabrillo Hall. And so he comes up, it's like a misty night, there's this fog coming in off the ocean, because the college is right by the ocean. So it's perfect, you know, scenery, you can almost hear, like, Fugue uh, and B minor, like that, <laughs> an old horror movie. And he walks up to the 
into the building and he checks the door and the door's unlocked and it's not supposed to be. So that means he has to go in and check the entire building and make sure everything's fine. Mm -hmm. So he's like, all right, this is my chance. Bring it on, Madam Dingley. And he walks in the building, it's just deathly silent, it's like a graveyard in there. And he walks in, the floor creaks, it's this old building with this carpet on the floor, but it still creaks from the old wood. So he walks across it and goes up these tiny steps of the staircase, which, which we can talk more about why they're tiny. But it, it, the staircase has these creepy, tiny little stairs that you can take two or three of them at a time. So he walks up there, and these creepy stairs, he's got his flashlight out, all the lights are turned off inside. And he calls out, is anybody in there? Nobody responds. So he checks all the rooms. Everything's fine. All the equipment is there in the office, the computers. And he's like, okay, time to leave. And as he's getting ready to leave, he hears music. This weird violin music playing, like it's this slow, soft, minor key tune, like a really mournful song. And he... Uh, and he thinks, okay, there must be a radio turned on. One of these computers is on, and it's playing the music. So he checks all those computers and all the stereos, and he can't figure out where the music is coming from. And he's saying, it's got to be coming from somewhere. There's no other buildings nearby, really. And he's checking everywhere, and uh, he can't even tell where the music is coming from exactly. Like, it's not above him or below him. He can't pinpoint it to one room or the other. It, it almost seems like the music is inside his own head like this kind of surround sound thing in the, in the entire building. So he walks down the tiny steps and goes to the first floor. He still hears the music. He can't pinpoint it. And then he thinks maybe it's coming from the basement where those art studios are. So then he has to walk out the front door, go down the, the next steps leading to the basement. And he gets out his old key to the basement door and then goes in there. And that basement is a, it's a creepy place underneath Madame Singley's house. All these strange ghost stories about people having found souls and human remains down there back in the day. So he, all these stories are in his head as he goes down there. And he walks into the basement and can hear that music. It's clear as day, that, that minor key violin playing. And then he looks across the, the art studio in the basement and he sees a stereo. And he's like, huh, finally, mystery solved. There's the stereo. I'll go over, I'll turn it off. So he walks over to the stereo. He's always laughing. Like, I, I was so silly to be afraid. And he walks over to it, and then he realizes the stereo is unplugged. Oh my God. And there's no batteries in it. And the music is not coming from the stereo at all. He picks it up, not coming from there. And still, he hears that violin, and it's all around him in the basement. So he says, screw this. I'm out of here. I don't know what's going on, but I'm, I'm getting out of here. And so he, <laughs> he left, and that was, his, that was his first experience at Madame Tingley's house. But uh, he's not the only security guard that has had strange things happen there. Yeah, oh, I know. I read more in your book. Um, so did he ever go back in there? Did he quit the job, or did he have to go back in at another time? Oh, no, he's not a scaredy cat. Yeah, he went to, him and I both, you know, we, we don't face our fears. We're just, we're just terrified while we do it, but we're not oh. going to back down. Okay, we're, good. We're pretty stubborn, too. <laughs> we're pretty stubborn people, but so, you know, we're not going to look like chickens. Oh. So uh, well, yeah, that he, is he, scary. he kept working there the rest of yeah, the rest of his time there. He he, he went in there plenty of times. Had a couple other strange things happen. I I had a couple of experiences in there as well. It's like it's one of those places that just if you spend enough time in there, it's, it's almost guaranteed that something weird is going to happen. What happened to you in um the Madam Madam Tingsley's house? 
Yeah, so it was right right after I published the book, Holy Ghost. And that year, 2015, I was doing a lot of interviews for local media about the book and about the, the haunted history of that college. And a local TV station, the local Fox station, wanted to interview me inside Madame Tingley's house. So, you know, folks who talk about paranormal hauntings and ghosts, they, you know, they will say that sometimes you can recharge a haunting by paying attention to it, by talking about it. Um, you know, some people would say that that's a, a spirit who knows it's being talked about. Other people would just say that it's uh, like a recharging a battery. But uh, anyway, we were in Madame Jingu's house, and I was talking about her a lot. I was in there telling, talking about the phenomena, the ghost stories, and the seances, and, and I'm sitting on those that staircase on those tiny steps that have so many legends around them. And uh, so the, the TV cameras are filming me telling those stories. And uh, we finished, wrapped up with filming that interview. And uh, then we took a little break. I went to the bathroom. Uh, there's a bathroom on the ground floor of her house. And in that bathroom, they had just installed some brand new toilets. And you know when the toilet's brand new, the seat, it'll, it's really stiff. Mm-hmm. So lift, to raise it or lower it, it's like, it takes a little effort to raise and lower it. So I, I lifted up the seat because I'm, I'm a gentleman. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pee on the seat. So I, I, I raised the seat up. I have to push it with some force and then I did my business and I forgot to put the seat back down which I guess makes me less of a gentleman but I left the seat up like, <laughs> a, like a bad man and I was on my way out of the bathroom I, I turned my back and then the toilet seat just slams down mm. like somebody had just slammed it down with their head and there is no way that that could have been gravity I went back to it I even tried a couple times positioning it like halfway up there's no way it would fall down on its own it was this brand new that it was just extremely stiff. But it, it slammed down like somebody had, had thrown it down with all their force. Yeah, and, so uh, she didn't, I guess she didn't like that you left the, the seat up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or she was trying to teach me to, to put the seat down for yeah. the, the ladies afterwards. Mm-hmm. But so later that later that night, after the, the TV crew recorded my interview, then they had, they had a medium come out. She's a local, I guess, a professional medium in San Diego. And she came out. She had some uh, equipment that she would use, and she had these dowsing rods where she, that she would hold them in her hands and supposedly communicate with the spirits through them. Now, I was, you know, I was still a little skeptical about all that equipment stuff and the dowsing rods. I mean, she, she gave them to me. I wanted to see if I could just make them move on my own. And I held them in my hands without tilting my hands and just looked at them and tried to will them to cross each other. Yeah. And they, and they crossed just by me thinking about it. I mean, I, I really think a lot of that is, is just unconscious movement, that little imperceptible movements of your own hand. Um, so I was, but I was very kind of cocky, skeptical about this medium who came in. And she had this device, I call it ghost box. And it was uh, like a little cell phone sized box that she connected to a stereo. And supposedly she said the ghosts would use that box and they had a vocabulary of words in it. And at random, those words would, would sound out on the stereo, like it was a robot voice. Yeah. And the way she, she explained it, she said the ghosts, they figure out how to use that vocabulary to express themselves. And I was thinking, come on, now this, this can't be real. And so she, she hooked this thing up. We went up to the top floor, and she hooked it up, and it, just a lot of random words came out, like tree, uh, boxcar, chocolate, you know, like with really no, no sense at all to them. And then she said, would you, would you mind carrying this downstairs? We're going to move downstairs. 
So she had me carry the box for her to go downstairs. And then she was upstairs still collecting her equipment. So I, I put it up downstairs in the front room that used to be Madam Tingley's parlor, where they say that she would contact the dead. And I put, uh, put the little stereo with that ghost box. I didn't turn it off. I just left it on the table. And then I took my, my book and I opened it up to a picture of Madam Tingley that I had drawn based on the photograph. And I put that book next to the ghost box and I walked away from it. And then I heard that voice, that robot voice on it. And it said, author. And then it said, similar. And I turned like similar, like the, the drawing is similar. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I turned, the handle on that stereo slammed down, just like the toilet seat had slammed down earlier that night. Wow. And I, I, I have no explanation to it. I don't know why that happened, but it happened. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always skeptical too of a lot of those um, the equipment that they use because, like you said, it has a vocabulary in it. Um, but sometimes, like with that, it happened to use a word that actually related could have been related to what you know having the drawing there. Is that coincidence? I don't know, but yeah, it's, now again, it's, one, it's pretty one creepy. Possible- yeah, it is, it's creepy. I yeah. mean, one one possible possible way to understand it would be that I or the the student who was with me at the time that we made that voice appear through some kind of I mean, call it telekinesis, brain power, brain waves. Call it you know, through some unknown way that some people might be able to affect their environment with their brain without realizing it. I mean, that could be an alternate way to understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, you could see it as Madame Kingley approving of my drawing of her saying, yeah, you got it right. That's what I look like. Or you can see it as we are thinking about Madame Kingley, so we made that happen with our own mind. Um, Jules Prosser said, again, maybe someday fans will understand telekinesis. Maybe right. it will be a very commonplace thing, but, but if you don't understand it just yet. Yeah, because, I mean, um, let's talk about that now then while we're at that. So. Um, tell talk about how like poltergeist and telekinesis may be connected. Because you had mentioned that so a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and mean, poltergeist it's a, it's a kind of phenomenon. Um, it, it's a German word. Poltern means to make noise, and a geist is ghost or spirit. So a poltergeist is a, a ghost that makes noise, and it's a really common phenomenon all over the world of. Uh, um, and it's a very specific kind of haunting, which, uh, you know, it's where stuff moves around, where you hear noises, knocks on the walls, plates will fly off those shelves and break, and um, all that is poltergeist phenomenon. And uh, there's, often it's, it's very unique. A lot of times it'll happen without any apparitions or voices or anything, and it'll happen in a place that has no particular history behind it, um, even in new, brand new apartment buildings it can happen. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it happens only around one particular person. So when when that person is around, the phenomena happens. Stuff flies off the shelves, you hear the knocks on the walls. That person leaves, and the phenomena stuck. And even if that person moves to a new house or a new state, even the phenomena sometimes follow them, and the same things will happen. So again, it, it doesn't seem like something that's connected to that place or to the history of that mm-hmm. place. It seems like something connected to that person. And that person is usually an adolescent, usually a teenager or someone, you know, 
mm-hmm. preteen, teenager, or late teen, someone who's in that very, I mean, adolescent, there's a lot of emotions, a lot of turmoil and feelings and hormones. And a lot of times it'll be an adolescent going through a lot of stuff in life, going, dealing with some trauma, dealing with uh, some tragedy. And so the theory a lot of people have is that poltergeist phenomena, they happen around an adolescent who is, without realizing it, is causing that stuff to happen. Through telekinesis means, it basically means moving stuff with your mind. Mm-hmm. In a, again, in a way that there's no, there's no scientific proof that it exists. There have been some experience with some mild evidence, um, but it's, uh, if it exists, it seems to be an ability that most people exercise unconsciously without realizing they're doing it, which, uh, I mean, uh, one reason why that could be the case, there are a lot of abilities that, that uh, are better, they work better when we aren't thinking about doing them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean... One of those things is something you and I are going to do in a few hours and everybody else is too, which is sleep. All of us sleep, but if you try to make yourself go to sleep, there is no better recipe for insomnia than lying down in bed and saying, okay, I'm going to go to sleep now. Right. Now, <laughs> now is the goal. I'm going to I mean, <laughs> it doesn't work. You can't make yourself go to sleep. You just have to let it flow. Yeah. And there's so many things like that. Even, I mean, sports psychologists study that stuff. So, uh, you have to get outside of your head and just let something happen. Um, so if telekinesis exists, it seems to be an ability, a very unique human ability that that most people are not able to, to do on purpose. Um, now, of course, some parts of the world have legends about like very focused monks, for instance, in Tibet and other parts of the world. There are legends about monks having developed the ability to make to do telekinesis on purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's stories. I haven't, I haven't witnessed it, but I've heard, you know, there's some stories about, uh, but the interesting thing is, in all those stories, according to the stories, the only way to, to learn how to consciously do that, it, it's not easy. The stories say that, that these are monks who spend just years and years, and that's all they focus on, deep concentration, meditation techniques. And, um, I mean, these are the same monks that there are videos of this happening. These monks can raise their own body temperature through the force of their minds. Yeah. There are videos of these monks sitting out in the snow, putting wet cloths on their naked bodies and drying them off, making their body hot enough in the middle of the snow in the winter yeah. and heating up their own body just through mental concentration. I and believe that could happen. You know, if, if you concentrate on something hard enough and believe hard enough, I, I believe that you can, you know. Um, I mean, obviously certain things would take so much more concentration than others, like trying to make something fly across the room. And maybe not everybody could do that, you know, have that much concentration. Cause I don't think everyone would have that ability. You know, it's something like you'd have to really believe you could do it and, and practice that. I mean, that's just my opinion. And I think that's like, like with superstition, I'm not superstitious. And, you know, I know a lot of people are, and in my opinion, with that as well, it's like because you think you're going to have seven be- seven years bad luck with a broken mirror or, you know, whatever the case is, crossing the path of a black cat, that you actually do have some bad luck because you believe it enough. Sure. And that's what I think superstition sure. is. I mean, but that's just my opinion, too. You know? Helpful. 
self-fulfilling prophecies and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, I, but there, I mean, there are just so many human abilities, though. I mean, and this is, this is true whether or not telekinesis actually exists. But there are so many human abilities that we just never developed. Mm-hmm. And even human sensibilities that, you know, that come pretty close to looking like psychic phenomena. Um, I mean, I think a lot of the past is psychic phenomena is just someone developing high sensitivity, yeah. high sensitivity to things. Um, and then some people are the opposite. You and I, we've all known people who are not sensitive at all to other human beings. Who, you know, they'll put the foot in their mouth, yeah. they very <laughs> insensitive things around somebody. They, they can't pick up on someone's emotion. They're obviously upsetting someone. I mean, I think, I think it is more common with men. In general, it's, it's easier for men to be like to be up inside their heads and just not aware of their surroundings and not aware of other humans. Uh, a lot of men are just terrible husbands. You know, mm-hmm. they're just not sensitive. They're not. Right. They're not hearing. It's it's so obvious to anyone else that their wife is upset about something, but just because their wife says no, it's fine. I'm okay. And the guy says, okay, she's okay. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's the opposite of what we're. But what we're talking about is you have to cultivate a sensitivity to your surroundings, to other people, to your own self, um, to what's going on in your own brain. Uh, I mean, these are things that need to be. It takes time and effort to cultivate that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what's sad is that in our day and age, especially, we have more distractions than than humans probably ever have had before between all the devices that we have and the little blips and things and uh, yeah. notifications we get all the time in this computer in our pocket we have. I mean, I think it's telling that, that every spiritual tradition in the world has a tradition of seeking silence, of just shutting up, being in a place without distraction, and just listening. Listening, you know, whether it's listening to God, to yourself, to your surroundings. But I think a lot of us are losing the ability to listen. I'm including myself in that. I'm not judging anyone. Yeah. I'm, I'm guilty of it as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Wasting too much time on Facebook and YouTube is watching videos of cats falling off of things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's not conducive to a reflective mentality. Yeah, I know. I, I don't, I really would be fine if all of this, you know, technology never came about. I really would. I mean, yeah, I use it all, too. I do the same thing. Everybody does, I think. You know, I do the same thing because it's there and because that's the way it is now. That's what you do, it seems like so. But I would totally be fine to have it go back the way it was, you know? Yeah. I I think that a lot. I don't think I would mind. I mean, I'd like to take breaks from it. I think it's healthy to take breaks. I mean, right now, we we happen to be in the Lent, the Lenten season. Mm-hmm. And the idea of Lent is like, again, this is something that exists in, in a lot of different spiritual traditions, the idea of fasting and taking away distraction. You fast from something that always has you feeling fat and happy and satisfied, and you give that up for almost two months to see how that affects you, to listen to your own mind more, listen to your surroundings more, mm-hmm. to be more aware. Um, and it's good to take digital fasts, because, you know, step away from the phone and the social media for for a while. And uh, I mean, when, when I've done that, it just it feels amazing. And I even feel like my brain becomes stronger after a week without that. It's, oh, uh, yeah. It's just, it just feels great to 
to realize, oh, I'm all of a sudden, I'm not trying to be in 50 places at once. I'm only here in this one park or in this house, and that's all I'm thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, the only time I really give up, like, all of that is I go on cruises a lot. And when I'm on a cruise ship, oh, or sure. even just on vacation, like in Florida before the cruise, the phone gets shut off. I mean, I'll check it here and there just in case, but just a quick check and it goes off. I don't need to buy the yeah. internet package on the cruise. I'm on vacation. So, and that's what I do. You right. know, I just, I put it, I shut it off and I put it in the safe and that's where it stays. And it does, it feels really good. Like not to feel yeah, like I mean, you need to check your phone all the time. Yeah, and isn't that I yeah, the idea of a vacation is making getting away from all those distractions and all those people trying to get your attention and tell mm -hmm. you to do stuff. And back in the day, that was you know people would go on vacation because you're away from the office and you're you know this was like a, it was a privilege for people who could take a vacation to get away from all the messages. Yeah, and now it's like we are we're begging our phone to to bring those messages to us all the time. Like, Right. Uh, that you're, you're missing out on anything. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, as far as ghosts and you know, all the paranormal stuff we're talking about, you know, I, I just believe there's a lot of mysterious things that surround us that we don't understand. And I think it's a tragedy when we lose the capacity to, to be curious about this. Mm -hmm. When we just stop, stop caring about new discoveries, new things. And we just say, no, I'd rather, I'd rather spend my time preoccupied and busy and distracted all the time with you know, social media or with work or with whatever it is that we distract ourselves with. And that's, that's, that's sad. Yeah. There's a, a psychologist, I forget his name, but he said that the unexamined life is not worth living. I, I, I might be misquoting, it might be Rollo May, but uh, yeah, it's a life where you, you're not actually thinking about what am I doing here in the first place. Uh, yeah, that, that sounds like a very sad way to go through life. And you only get that one life. Right. Yeah, I mean, and, and we grew up, like, without all of this. So we know what that was like. Um, like, the kids these days, you know, this is, they've known this since they were born. So to them, to not have, like, a phone attached to their hand all the time is probably, like, unthinkable. You know? Yeah. Or a video game or whatever, but. It is sad. Um, so let's talk about the tiny staircase in, in Madame Tingley's old house. Oh, yeah. I know there's a story yeah, for Madame that. Yeah, Tingley's staircase. Mm hmm So there's a, that's an interesting point because that's one of those cases that's going along with this. There has a lot of legends around it, but the, the historic truth is actually very different. And then that shows us what those legends actually reveal to us. So the, the legend, basically the legend say that Madame Tingley thought she would come back after death as an animal. And so she had the staircase in her house built, custom built with really tiny steps because she thought she would come back as a cat or a turtle in some versions of it. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to be able to walk up and down the steps as a ghost cat or a ghost <laughs> turtle. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, so it's one of those stories that, that people tell to, you really exoticize Madame Tingley, like, oh, what a crazy old lady. She wanted to be a ghost turtle and walk up the steps in her own house. Now, the what I found when I researched is one of one of Madame Tingley's public appearances in San Diego, I think it was a debate with a, a Christian minister, 
and when she appeared in public, it might have been the court case actually, but she she did. They got prosecuted a couple times um, because they were had very different beliefs. The mainstream really didn't like the officers. They they went through some persecution. And uh, so one of these public appearances, she showed up and she had taken a bad fall down the stairs in a, a house or a building at Oklahoma at the Theosophical Colony. Um, and so she was walking with a cane, had trouble walking, and the newspapers reported on this. So I think what's much more likely is that she had those stairs made so she wouldn't fall down the stairs again. <laughs> That's the explanation of the tiny stairs. She didn't want to have an accident. She wanted yeah. to be able to walk in her own house. Right. But what's interesting is, is why do people tell this legend and this, this whole turtle thing is a motif that shows up. Uh, there's almost zero mention of turtles in the Theosophical record. There are a few quotes from Theosophists who said that turtles live a long time because they are reincarnated with a lot of good karma. Madam King, the successor said that, I think. Uh, Kruger was his last name. Um, but they're Turtles, they weren't, they weren't a group that worshipped turtles. Turtles were not a big thing for them. But now, in, as modern Point Lama students remember them, they talk about them as this very exotic group that worshipped turtles and wanted to come back as a turtle. And they call Madame Tingley the turtle lady. <laughs> and uh, I think that's a way to exoticize her as this very other, very different figure. And the reason for that is, a lot of times, Madame Tingley is, is kind of a scapegoat in the legend. Um, and the way people describe her, it's very similar to the actual modern-day evangelical Christian culture of the modern students of a place like Point Loma. Point Loma, it is a private university, and it's a Christian university. It's owned by the Church of the Nazarene, which is a, a conservative evangelical church. And so a lot of uh, elements of that, that evangelical Christian subculture is a very particular way of thinking, very particular subculture. And uh, I grew up in that subculture, so I know what it's like to live in that world. And a lot of a lot of us growing up, we felt weird. We felt like we were different because a lot of us were not allowed to watch certain movies or even any movies or listen to secular music. It was a very separatist kind of almost puritanical culture of being separate from mainstream culture. So as a kid, that feels horrible as a kid. You just want to be cool as a teenager, as a, as a child. You want to fit in. And if you belong to a subculture like that, or like like a lot of others, like the like Mormons and a lot of other religious groups that are big on you know not following mainstream culture, you know you, you're very self conscious about that as a kid. And so I think a lot of kids who come to Point Loma are coming out of that world. They, they've grown up feeling self conscious, like feeling like yeah, we have to be holy, we have to be righteous. But I just want to be a normal kid, and I'm not allowed to. Mm-hmm. And so I think they project those feelings that really are feelings about themselves, and they project them onto a scapegoat, which in this case is the ghost of Madame Tingley. So they imagine Madame Tingley is this very weird woman, very exotic, strange other woman. And a lot of a lot of the stories also project sexual repression onto the theosophists, which uh, is not um, not historical. There are stories about her putting the teenage boys into straitjackets to keep them from masturbating, um, which it's, it's dubious whether that ever happened. It probably didn't. It definitely did not happen in the building where modern Point Loma students say it happened, which is a dormitory called Hendrick Hall, uh, because that building was not built by the office. So there's this legend of people 
that will wake up with sleep paralysis in that building. Their arms are tied across their chest and they can't move. And it's like a legend of the ghosts of the theosophical children. Um, I think a lot of that legend is an expression of what people feel of their own self-consciousness about uh, this subculture that can often be very sexually repressive and there does not encourage young people to develop their own sexuality in a healthy, normal way. And so I think that means that the optimists become like a stand-in or a symbol of these issues that people are really dealing with about themselves. And I think that's common with a lot of legends around the world as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, maybe that's why they wake up like that, because they're thinking about the legends, um, you know, if they could be true or not. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like maybe. Some of the stories, you know, a lot of the stories I collected, I heard them from people who experienced them. But then there are other stories that, that are not firsthand that are definitely more like legends. There are you know, stories that people say, oh, this happened to somebody once. Mm-hmm. Oh, somebody saw the ghost turtle walking in, in Cabrillo Hall, that opinion town. Right. And you can never track down who, who saw the ghost turtle. And those, those legends are the ones that interested me as modern folklore, which reveal, really reveals things about the people who tell those stories. Yeah, because, like, you know, a legend starts from somewhere, like some little piece of truth somewhere, and then as it's told over and over again, it grows and changes, and and that's where all these stories come from. You know, like, there's tons of urban legends around here, too, that I want to start checking out. But, yeah, yeah, those those can be interesting. Yeah, um, I'm waiting for, like the warmer weather <laughs> because I want to actually go to some of these places and, you know, plus do my research, but go to some of the places and see what like I can find on my own as far as like to take pictures, to go with it on the website. And so I'm kind of waiting for some warmer weather and to do that kind sure. of thing. So now you have a series of books, right? Called the, um, the tiny staircase series. And now is that, Four books in the series that you have? Yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm actually writing a few new ones this year. It's, okay. Uh, it's been slow coming for the last couple of years, but I, uh, it, it's a series of short e-books, which uh, I'm always doing, you know, giveaways of certain books for those two, because they're all very short little, like, 60-page e-books, usually a dollar or two. Mm-hmm. I've been developing this series where each book just looks at one one particular uh, haunted place or story, very focused and limited, um, just looking at one story, one phenomenon. Uh, so there are a lot of a lot of new books coming down the pipeline in that series. Uh, so anybody can can get the first book in that series, which is uh, for free if you sign up for my little email mailing list. Mm-hmm. So if you go on my website, which which is holyghoststories.com. Um, and again, the same name, you can find me on social media, uh, Facebook, YouTube, everywhere else under Holy Ghost Stories. Uh, but on the website, if you go to the website, uh, just there'll be a very easy little sign-up thing. And I will send you the first book of that Tiny Staircase series for free. Um, and that first book looks a little more at ghosts and what, what do they mean and how could ghosts maybe be a recording from the past. And there are books about uh, that Tiny Staircase and other topics in there. There's one about 
witchcraft. Uh, I'm talking to you now from here in Mexico City. I spent a lot of the year here. And uh, there are a lot of a lot of legends and stories here as well. So one thing is about witchcraft here in the market in Mexico City, where a lot of modern-day uh, healers and also dark witches will go to, to buy their supplies. And I, I go to that market and describe it. It's a very creepy place. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of new books in that series coming out, too. Oh, good. So I'm glad. for that. Yeah, this, uh, anybody who signs up for, for my email list, I, I will... I always tell readers on that list, I tell you about the, the new books coming out, and I make them free for a while. You know, I, I really appreciate people reading, uh, really appreciate my readers, and I want to give them a sneak peek of things before everybody else can get to them. And uh, I want to give, give away some books for free. This, this weekend, actually, this Friday the 13th weekend, uh, one of my books will be 99 cents for the ebook on, on uh, Amazon. So I'm, I'm always doing special special giveaways for some of the books too. Because I you know, I appreciate people who like to read about this stuff. You know, odds are it's people who have a lot in common with me who are also interested in the creepy, the macabre and then scary haunted places. Yeah, I mean, I, I, no, I can't wait for the one to come out tomorrow because I did get the email and I got the recordings of the past, which was awesome. So, yeah, anybody who is interested in this stuff, which, you know, you must be if you're listening to this podcast, I suggest definitely go on his website and, you know, read his books and, and get the ones that he offers. It's a great way to get to know his work. And now I am a fan. So, <laughs> yeah, because when yeah, I was... Talk um, to me, everybody, too. I, I want to hear from people, too. If you, everyone who's, who's read these books, uh, yeah, shoot me a, a message on Facebook, an email. And I want to hear your stories and hear your impressions, hear what you like, what you didn't like. Mm-hmm. I always love, love hearing from readers. Yeah. So, yeah, because I was, you know, I had done the Clown Motel episode um and so when i was researching to do that episode i came across you and your book that you had stayed there two nights right at the clown motel and you wrote a you wrote a book on it and three nights three nights okay and then um that's where i saw your other books you know i went on your website and then i saw holy ghost i'm like oh my goodness i need to get this i need to read this book and so that's how i came about um, learning about you and your, your, you know, your work. Yeah, I know we didn't get a chance to talk about um, your experiences at the Clown Motel before the episode came out. Is there anything you would like to talk about now having to do with that? I appreciate the shout out there too. Um, okay. I get people who want to hear, if, if, if you want to hear my whole experience there, uh, check out that book. The book is Three Nights in the Clown Motel. Mm-hmm. You can find it on my website or just on Amazon. It's my name, David J. Schmidt. Mm-hmm. Um, and that book, it, it's just a first-person account of this very terrifying journey. And I've always been kind of afraid of clowns and of ghosts and of graveyards, and I had to face all three of those things in this terrifying clown motel in the middle of the desert uh, with clowns everywhere right next to an Old West graveyard, just haunted as haunted AF, as the kids today say. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, just a super, super creepy haunted place. Um, so if you want to experience that scary journey with me without having to leave your armchair, check out that book. Um, and uh, the stories are in there. But again, everybody should listen to your episode, too, about the Clown Motel. Very good episode. Uh, oh, thanks. You, you really go in depth. In depth there. 
Yeah, so that episode is up. I don't remember the episode number, but it's titled Clown Motel. And you can get David's book on his experiences there, his his journey. Um, I got it on Amazon, and it was awesome to read. So, yeah, everybody should check that out, too, even if you've heard the episode, because I just touched on it, you know, a little bit. So um, did you have anything else you wanted to add um, to this interview right now, or...? I think we covered quite a bit. No, I mean, obviously, these, these are things we could spend hours more talking about. But, yeah, uh, definitely. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we got in-depth there, and uh, hopefully people will just be, uh, hopefully their curiosity will be, will be sparked. I just want people to just, you know, do more reflecting, think about this very mm-hmm. vast, mysterious, beautiful world that we live in. Because uh, you only get this one life, right? the most of it. And uh, mystery is part of that. It's a beautiful thing to just realize that I don't know, and I know that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I, you know, hopefully a lot of people go on now and, and get Holy Ghosts and, and check that out because we barely scratch the surface of this book, and it's very interesting. So um, check it out. Thanks so much for your time, David. It was nice talking with you. Thank you very much. Happy haunting. You too. Bye-bye. Hello there. I just have a little add-on that I'm putting on to all of the old episodes. We have a new website address. It is, it's just a ghostpodcast.com. And we also have a new email address, and that is it's just a ghostpodcast at yahoo.com. So if you heard a different email or website address in this episode, Please ignore that and use the new one. Again, the email is it's just a ghost podcast at yahoo.com and the website is it's just a ghost podcast.com. Thank you so much. As always, please email us your paranormal experiences to it's just a ghost podcast at yahoo.com and we will read them on an upcoming episode. If you enjoy this podcast, please follow and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. You can help us grow and get our name out there by telling your friends about us, and we would be thrilled if you would leave us five stars. This helps people find us out there in the sea of podcasts. It's all free, so why not, right? You can follow us on Facebook at It's Just a Ghost Podcast and on Twitter at It's Just a Ghost 2. That's the number two. And also on Instagram at It's Just a Ghost Podcast. Remember, ghosts are people too. Until next time.